This podcast number 848 is brought to you by Mark Bernstein, author of a new book entitled The Fiscal Therapy Solution 1.0, Six Steps to Personal and Business Financial Health. In this podcast with Mark, we discuss how his fiscal therapy solution differs from the industry protocols and what he refers to as the brokerage model and why evaluating your finances by using his process is a holistic approach. If you want to rethink your strategy regarding your approach to saving, spending, and growing your portfolio, then I would highly recommend getting Mark's easy-to-read book. You may visit his website at markbernstein.com. That's M-A-R-C-J-B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N.com to learn more about his book. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Dr. James Lohr and Karen Kinney, authors of a new book, Leading with Character, 10 Minutes a Day to a Brilliant Legacy. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And today joining me from Florida is Dr. Jim Lohr. And joining me from Karen, you are in? Boston. Boston, Massachusetts is Karen Kinney. And there is a new book that anybody today, well, if we looked at our past leadership and our president, which is one of our questions, you should be looking at leading with character. <laughs> and I'm not here to down anybody, but the reality is um, it's so nice and refreshing to have heard a really good speech last night from the president. So um, I hope you guys saw that. Did you see that? Either of you? Also, I did not. I was, uh, I was actually book. working. Yes. And the companion book is The Personal Credo. Um, you will, these are Wiley's books. You will need to get, um, well, you don't have to get both of them, right? But it would be nice if they, they did. They are actually, uh, they are only sold together. Oh, good. Well, that's, that's good to know that they are sold together. So, Jim, I'm going to let our listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, Dr. Jim Lohr is the co-founder of Johnson & Johnson Human Performance Institute, which has helped develop and inspire over 250,000 leaders worldwide since its inception in 1992. Dr. Lohr is the author of numerous books, including Toughness Training for Life, Stress for Success, The Power of Story, and The Only Way to Win. And again, everybody go out and get this book. Now for Karen, uh, Karen Kenny is the CEO and founder of Evolve Leadership, so highly experienced business and thought leader in the global C-suite executive coaching and consulting. And prior to uh, launching Evolve, she was part of the leadership team at Johnson & Johnson Human Performance Institute and executive director of its premier executive leadership program. Um, she's also an executive coach and has worked with a range of leaders from early stage startup CEOs to Fortune 100 uh, executives, Fortune Most Powerful Women. Uh, she delivers keynotes. And if you want to learn more about Karen, you can go to EvolveLeadership.com. That's EvolveLeadership.com. And we will put links to all of that in our um, blog entry. Well, welcome both of you and thank you. Jim, you know, in the foreword of the book, you um, must have asked Chip Berg, the president and CEO of Levi Strauss, to speak about the state of affairs and write the introduction for the book. And he spoke about the pandemic and he said, you know, it's still an issue worldwide. All we have to do is look at what's going on in India and we can see that this is still a problem. He states that leaders are defined in times like these and that this is the ultimate test of leadership in our lifetime. I was listening to Mark Benno and he's actually this morning uh, chartered a 757 to take supplies to India and actually came out of his own pocket uh, to get the PPP equipment over to India because of the problem that's going on. What, in your estimation, do we need to see from leaders during these challenging times that we're facing today? Because uh, your book is about leadership and moral leadership. Well, first of all, thank you, Greg, for having us both on. We're both very excited to uh, to create, we hope, some value for all of your listeners. Um, 
You know, leadership um, is most desperately needed during turbulent times. And really, when you don't have a storm at sea in your leadership, you really are preparing for those turbulent times. This pandemic, however, has turned the world upside down. No one could be fully prepared for what has happened. Everything that we value has come under siege. Our health, our happiness, our loved ones, our businesses, our just about every part of, a, of human life. And this is not just in the United States, but worldwide. And that, in fact, is when we look to people to lead, to lead really, really courageously. And what does that mean? Most importantly, it means they have to make the right calls. They have to, we are following them. So they're going to make decisions that impact just about everyone that they uh, are are leading. And that decision-making is very, very challenging for just about everyone, particularly if you're the head of a massive organization like Chip Berg with Levi Strauss. And what what is really called upon is something really interesting. It, it calls upon a very, very um, intensive look internally. First of all, you got to get all the facts before you make a decision. And almost every decision has moral aspects to it in terms of the impact it's going to have on people, on the world, perhaps, if you're the CEO of a company the size of Levi Strauss. And then you look at your heart. What does your heart say about this? Because it's a very, very uh, important dimension of any kind of leadership call. And then what does your gut say? And the most important dimension of a leader's portfolio is his character, his moral or her moral and ethical character. Once you've vetted all of those channels, both internally and externally, listening to as much as you can to get the right information, then you have to courageously make a call and you have to be responsible for that call because you will impact for better or for worse you know, perhaps millions of people and their families. That's a very heavy responsibility. But really, that's what Chip has been preparing for with all of his leadership responsibilities. But never did he anticipate that he would be called to lead in a time like this. And that's true with all of us, with our families, with our businesses. And the most important aspect of that is how we treat other people in this wake of unbelievable um, kind of turbulence that is uh, occurring on almost every level. So important what you say, because we see today and we hear within the news and all the listeners out there who um, many of my listeners are in management of companies. um, The reality is, you know, you do what's right. Um, And I think what's right is keeping people employed. You know, we were at 20 million unemployed and we've seen that number come back. And I think it's a lot of these executives that have to make decisions with the dollar. And it's really uh, not as much with the dollar, Jim, maybe as it is with their conscience. Um, 100% if, If you've got the right conscience. Now, Karen, in the introduction of the book, you hit the reader square between the eyes with the statement, you were born, you will die. We get that. Um, For all my listeners who haven't seen this, you know, you get Moe's cancer on your, and it gives you a thought about that actually. Um, And between your birth and death is the opportunity for impact. Uh, How can you help leaders find the passion for their impact and legacy um, that they're going to leave? Because that is, you know, look, People will look back and they're going to remember the leaders like Dalai Lama, uh, Mother Teresa, you know, those kind of people. The question is, they'll remember the other leaders, but the leaders that did things that weren't right, that weren't morally right. So how do you help them get on track? Yeah, it's a good question and uh, great to be here with you today, Greg. Thanks for having us. Um, I think the reality is some leaders are just moving so fast and furious, as Jim said, trying to keep up with the complexity and navigate this really difficult environment right now that they don't really take time to think about the impact um, and their legacy. It's not that it's not important, but it just moves down the priority list. I think others, um, 
as was just mentioned, are kind of focusing on the prize, maybe getting that CEO or top role or a financial hitting a financial milestone or getting recognition that it's not top of mind for them. And then others, like you said, um, maybe maybe they have a scare or something in life that that makes them more connected or thinking about their own mortality. Pandemic has certainly done that for a lot of people, especially those who've lost people. Or they hit an age or career milestone and they wake up one morning and it's, you know, wow, you know, I've worked my whole life for this to get to this level and this is it, you know, something's missing. And so, you know, they don't know how to reconcile those. So regardless of where they are, what we do and what we believe is most important as a first step is connecting them to their purpose. And that's their personal purpose, not their organizational purpose. It's important not to confuse them. They should be aligned. But and to get them there, we ask them some basic but challenging questions, which is, you know, why am I here? What must I achieve to have lived a life that's successful and meaningful? And what impact do I want to have on others? They're so important, but it's also important that that purpose transcend yourself. So it needs to be focused on the betterment of others in order for it to be sustainable. And it must be measurable. If we have this big, broad purpose of I want to, you know, have a positive impact on others or change the world, you can't really measure it. And it's not going to be, you know, you have to be able to keep yourself accountable and make sure you're on track. So that's really important. But your purpose is really just your why are you here and what do you want to accomplish? And it's really the foundation for everything we do in our coaching. And it's the key to unleashing not only your best self, but your best life. Well, I think it's important that you mention personal purpose versus organizational purpose, and you define between the two. And I never forget this interview with Tom Rath. Um, you guys might know Tom, Jim, I'm sure probably does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tom's health has not been the best, but I don't think a lot of people know that. Multiple cancer issues, was left for dead. Um, and he said, what's the contribution? What's the contribution you're going to leave and what are people going to remember you by the legacy, right? And Jim, you state the purpose of the book was really threefold. Um, what are the three main themes of the book and how uh, will the personal credo journal, which I was showing earlier, uh, help accomplish or help people get there, right? Um, how can you help the leaders with building moral and ethical character and how does this personal credo uh, journal that you've created help do that? Well, first of all, this this book really details a 10-year effort to try to understand how our character is formed and what can we do about it if we find there are flaws in that character. One of the main purposes of this book really is to help help leaders understand how how they knowingly and more importantly unknowingly um, kind of find ways to get what they want and still feel good about themselves. They end up kind of hijacking, moving through their moral machinery and getting what they want and believing this was a moral decision and to show how the, the mind is so easily... Um, kind of duped into uh, getting what that leader really wants and justifying it because it seemed like that was, they went through some process, but we're trying to help leaders understand how flawed the system truly is. And to help them understand the ingenious ways that occurs and to bring their awareness to another whole level that, and so you can't get away with it anymore. We're trying to elevate your consciousness to the point where wait a minute, I've been doing this and getting away with it. I can no longer get away with that. And then rather than by just taking some reflective, very automatic response to a moral and ethical decision that is really difficult, to really have a system whereby you're going to vet this in the most intentional way possible so that you don't just end up making a decision that at some point you deeply regret because you really never vetted it properly. And that's what we call a personal credo. Mm -hmm. It's something that you have really worked very hard to create that is the best articulation, most intentional uh, creation of 
how you want to vet every moral and ethical decision that you're going to be making. We make sometimes eight to 10 every day. What is the right thing for me to do here based on what I believe is the most important um, understanding of what my purpose is, what my values are, and who I want to be when I am leading, particularly in turbulent times. And the book details a process and the training manual. This uh, journal is actually a 150-day program that is designed to help you build that magnificent structure so that you no longer default into something that at some point you may deeply regret. So Karen and Jim, and I'll start with Karen, if you don't mind me asking, what are your personal credos? What have you come up with, Karen, for yourself? Um, my personal credo is very personal, but it's a, it's a set of guided actions in terms of, of how I'm going to live my life every day. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to read it in front of okay. you, right now, but it's really about, it's really about the impact I want to have around those around me. And it's really more focused on my daughters and the link between my daughters and teaching them to be independent. They, they lost their dad. Um, they went through a little bit of trauma through that process. So teaching them that they can overcome anything and, and overcome barriers and achieve whatever they want. And it's about doing that in the way I live my life and the way I lead my, my job, lead myself, making sure that that impact translates back to them. I understand. And when we write these things, sometimes they are extremely personal. And you yeah. don't always want to share them with the world because uh, obviously a lot of people hear this. Jim, do you want to share yours or is... Well, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm on my third 150-day program where I've, you know, with the journaling. I'm a journal guy and I love it. And it constantly pushes me and kind of nudges me to a deeper level of understanding and commitment. And my, my greatest commitment through my journaling and through that development of a personal credo is that I want to represent to everyone that I'm around, most importantly to my family, that I do what I say, that I represent the reality of what I am teaching others or expect from others. And um, and the highest priority I have is, first of all, that I make sure that my family in any way possible is going to learn from me what it means to have a life of true character and a legacy they will be proud of. And the legacy I leave to them will be one that they will remember and it will inspire them to do great things for their children and on and on. So um, I will tell you that Credo be, is always in motion and it will always be getting refined and better but it is such a powerful document. I can only tell you, it's one of the most important things a human being can do because it doesn't make your vetting of moral and ethical decisions any easier. Easier. What it does do is it gives you more confidence that what you've come to is actually the best you could give. I really love what you said. And I think that uh, anybody listening who is looking to find the higher road, take the higher path as a leader, uh, needs to get these books, but on top of it, actually do the credo book and develop your credo, right? Not just read the book for the words that are in the book. Um, I think the questions you ask are very deep. Uh, they'll, they'll bring people to an understanding about themselves. And Karen, the core objective of the book is to equip leaders with tools necessary to determine both the size and permeability of their moral circles. Uh, can you tell us about the tools and how they work. Sure. Um, as Jim has always said, that your character is never truly revealed unless it's until it's put under intense pressure. So that's, and that's not the time, as you mentioned earlier, to focus on it because it's easy to do the right thing when the stakes aren't high and when things are going well, but when they're not, and it's really difficult to make the right choice sometimes or put other people's desires and, and welfare over your own. And the reality is pressure's here every day. And so, um, what we focus on are a number of tools. One that we found really useful is 360 stakeholder feedback. And a lot of people are aware of that. Um, but we do it not only at work, we do it for with people outside of your life. So or outside of your work life, so your maybe spouse or significant other, um, even kids sometimes. 
Um, they are very brutally honest, but also people may be showing up well in one part of their life, but maybe not so much in the other. So we find that to be a very useful tool. Um, it reveals common themes and blind spots. Maybe the leader who just uh, isn't isn't present on calls or they're distracted even during Zoom calls. You can tell they're reading emails or a little bit checked out or same thing being checked out at home. Maybe they're short with their team when they're stressed. Maybe they're not showing enough empathy for people who are struggling. We see this a bit during COVID. They're dealing with their own challenges, they're not thinking of others. So that's a very useful tool. Another is just simply getting people to think about, and you mentioned some people before, but those that they admire, their heroes, their role models, people who made a big impact. It doesn't have to be Mother Teresa, right? It could be a, a parent right. a mentor, anyone. And what was it about them that that made made them so important to you that had such a big influence? It's probably not what they achieved, but how you experienced them and their values and how they conducted themselves and, and cared for others. Um, so that's a great way. And so then you identify what, which one of those values are important to you and are you really delivering on that or where there's, where's the gap or the vulnerability so that that creates more awareness. They're all awareness tools. Another one not to be, you know, morbid is what do you want in your tombstone or, you know, how do you want to be remembered at the end of your life? What are people going to say about you at your at your funeral? You know, this is your opportunity to make the impact between now and then. But when you're proactive in thinking about those things, it's very useful. And then obviously what we find most impactful is what Jim just described, and that's the development of the personal credo. Well, I every leader out there and every person out there probably understands, but they don't always believe that they're vulnerable, but our finitude is determined, right? It's it's there. We're all going to have a finality someday. And it's really what we choose to do in between birth and death, as you said here, uh, to make a difference in the world. Now, Jim, you speak about the moral and ethical character issues of leaders. And most recently, uh, our previous president was an example of what I would call poor moral and ethical character. Um, and it's my show, so I can say that. So whoever wants to listen can, <laughs> can choose to do this. Um, can you speak about this and why good leaders are vulnerable uh, to corruption um, which I believe a lot of that was happening. And what are the three areas that leaders need to have continuous training in to reduce or at least identify what patterns might be evolving toward corruption? Yeah, so the research in this area is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And that is that only one out of 10 people throughout their lifetime is going to be able to really hold a high kind of ground morally and ethically to stay, stay above that ethical and moral waterline. 90% of the population is vulnerable. 5% are completely almost lost. They don't even care. But 85% are vulnerable every single day to taking shortcuts. And that's because the moral machinery we inherited um, is deeply flawed. It has so many um, glitches and coding errors, I call them, that, uh, and all of this is occurring beyond our level of consciousness and awareness. We are, we become victims of the moral machinery that we are working with. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do a lot of heavy lifting, if we don't do a lot of really hard work, we literally um, become undermined moral and ethically by our own, the inadequacy of the system we're using to vet right from wrong. We see it consciously. And it's something as simple as what we call motivated reasoning. You figure out how to create a story that gets you what you want, and you're already biased, and you just decide, you know, this is kind of how it's going to be because the forces right now are pushing you in a certain direction, and your gut says, let's go that way, but you haven't properly vetted what's both sides of this equation. Mm -hmm. So we are, uh, we're a flawed species when it comes to moral and ethical treatment of others. And that was one of the most important, and I, I show how there are 25 research-based um, uh, ways that the system can become hijacked. 
and it will occur beyond your awareness. The book is to try to help you understand this from a real, very concrete perspective. And this will halt, in hopefully most cases, your reflexive, um, you know, kind of instinct to just make yeah. a call on that. It's almost like a dog with instinct, right? Totally. I have a and question, though, considering both of you with Human Performance Institute, you know, you have intrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivators, and we, right. most of my listeners understand those. And so this wasn't one of the questions, but it got fielded by both of you. If we're not driven by those intrinsic motivators, right, and let's not even call it inspiration right now, because sometimes that's more difficult for people to define. They can define uh, motivation. It's that action they have to take. And it's those actions that get them in trouble. Um, what is it about those two things, those intrinsic motivators, and this would be for both of you, that need to be developed uh, for people to actually develop moral character? Well, I'll just make a few comments, and Karen, you can as well. Um, this is part of the process of determining really who you really want to be throughout the course. How do you want to lead in the course of your life, your children, your families, your companies? You have to know what you value. And your values, when it push comes to shove, if you put down the, the most important uh, priorities in your life and you have to make priorities in life, what you want to be remembered for, um, who you are when you're most proud of yourself. The more work you do there, the more you begin to realize that the things that sustain you are the intrinsic markers. Most importantly, your treatment of others, your ability for loving and caring for others, your empathy, your compassion, your uh, honesty, your integrity. Your uh, These are kind of like the, the gold standards of what it means to be an extraordinary person and an extraordinary leader. But that just doesn't come out of thin air. You have to do the work and represent, this is in fact who I want to be. And then you have to really every single day move in that direction because the forces of life are all driving you to what we call these extrinsic markers of success. Money, fame, glory, fast, you know, you know, uh, fast lane uh, kind of, uh, you know, parties and everything else. It seems like that's where the real happiness and joy of life comes from. But that's because we are conditioned to believe that from the broader society. And so this work is intrinsic work, and it will lead you to the intrinsic values that actually have no no equal in terms of priorities. And uh, that is what part of this credo building process is all about. Karen, uh, don't you believe that as fast as we're moving in the world today that uh – People are being hijacked by a lot of extrinsic motivators. Um, and if so, you know, uh, what might they do about it to really take, uh, I don't know, take an accountability for it, you know, and understand it, right? Because I think what's happening is, if I'm not mistaken, um, and I'm not going to just speak in generalities, I'll even speak for myself. If you look at social media and you look at the devices we have and you look at all the things that are pinging us and dinging us and telling us we need to do this and we do that, we are definitely being hijacked on a regular basis. Any comment? Yeah, absolutely. We're being hijacked and, and we've also been trained in some ways, right? Because some of those extrinsic motivators are things that our parents gave us, right? You think about the and coaches right on the field, wanting your kids to win. And I hear parents of young kids screaming at coaches out on the field. It's so important to them to win. They're not de demonstrating strong character values. Right. Um, get the best grades in school at all costs, right? Why were parents paying for, for, for kids to get into schools and get grades? So part of it is to recognize, you know, what we talked about before, about what's, where some of those influences were wrong to form their own opinions. I do think it comes back to the foundational purpose piece and what matters to them and making sure it's it's externally focused. But to beat back those external 
motivators or to understand the ones that aren't aren't a good influence is to go back and do that work like Jim just said to reflect on where did the inputs come from so you know where your parents your teachers your religion your social media kids are so drawn to that they believe the media they believe especially social media so it's challenging those beliefs and and getting people to recognize that they need to challenge them in the first place and then understanding the other influencers around it, which is the feeling pressure, stress, feeling fatigued, um, needs that aren't met, wanting to be part of something or succeed at something. So it's about doing the work around it. And it's it's not an easy thing to do. But to get back to that inter- intrinsic piece you were talking about, I think the foundational piece is the purpose. And then, you know, building all that additional work around it. But if, if you can't connect to that personal purpose, then... It'd be difficult to go any further than that. Well, you know, you say the source code for judging right from wrong, for determining true north. And most people who've done this work understand true north. I belong to an organization called Path North that that Doug Holliday founded. And it's for executives who are trying to find something more. And what you'll find is frequently, Karen, something has hit them. They have a brain tumor. They got cancer. They had some defining moment in their life that finally turned the switch on. And I always wonder to myself, why does it have to be that? But you gave um, 10 questions in the book that help the reader reflect on the development of their personal credo. What are a few of those, just to give our listeners a little bit of idea of the kind of depth you're asking them to go to to develop this personal credo? Yeah, those those questions are really about uncovering blind spots. It's exactly what they're designed for. Challenging those inputs. Do your parents get it wrong? Does religion get it wrong? Exposing the flaws in our thinking and judgment and creating more personal accountability. So examples would be when you make a moral decision, what do you call on or who do you call on to make that decision? Where did that decision come from? What was the criteria? Um, have you ever questioned or challenged those beliefs or those values, especially the ones that were handed down to you that you kind of took as and made your own? And what are some of the flaws in your process for determining in that you know, operating system and the decision making, challenging yourself to actually uncover some of those flaws? Um, and, and so what we find is we tend to use logic that that works for us, that allows us to deceive ourselves. So I, I had no other choice or I did it for my family, <laughs> hard one to argue with, right? Or I, I would have lost my job. Everyone else is doing it. I'm under pressure from the board. Um, so they have to challenge each one of those thoughts. And, and again, linking it back to this credo work, but it can be really uncomfortable. Some of the questions can be uncomfortable to answer and, and that's intentionally designed, but they can also be so freeing in a sense of they enable us then to really begin the process of becoming who we really want to be as opposed to what someone else has defined for us or society supposedly has designed or decided for us. I love the call outs. You know, you have them in the book and, and when people get this book, they'll see it. I want to commend both of you. Extremely well-designed book. Um, not difficult to read. Um, so Jim, you speak about the levels of the consciousness in the two brains, the rational and emotional brain uh, that we have. Can you speak to the listeners about the neuroscience of our brain and how this is affecting our moral and ethical character? Because, you know, you're, you're saying, hey, we got a rational one, we got an emotional one. We know that. The question is, how do we help control it? Right. So we're, so we're complicated, Greg. This is a complicated system we're working with. Um, yeah. And it took, you know, hundreds of thousands of years to evolve into what we have. And even though it's not perfect, it's pretty darn good. It's pretty sophisticated. But there are parts of it that are really important for us to understand. First of all, you know, we there's a difference between unconscious and conscious. So... Mm-hmm. And that's true in the animal kingdom. You know, they're either conscious or unconscious. And you can tell when your dog is unconscious or conscious. Um, And with human beings, there is a subconscious area that you can actually, you may not be focused on it in the moment, but you can bring that up at almost any time. It's available to you. If it's totally unconscious, it means it's not within your reach. It's just out of your, your availability. And some of this stuff is deeply embedded in uh, this hardware 
that is not accessible. And so part of growth is taking stuff that might be very turbulent and bringing it up and getting it to be uh, more of a uh, within conscious reach. And then we have this thing that we call what I like to refer to as super or reflective consciousness, which separates us from just about every other species on the planet from what we know about neuroscience. And that's the ability for us to reflect on the process we're using to perhaps make a moral decision. It's not just that we automatically make some automatic process, we make a moral decision, we can step outside that process and reflect on it. We have the capacity to be aware that we are aware of what we're doing. And it is in that absolute remarkable capacity that human beings can direct change that comes from their own intentionality. That you can, that is what enables us with that, um, without that capacity to actually examine our lives, to reflect on what our values are, to begin to think about who we want to be. And all of those capabilities come in a, in a magical, it's what I call the evolutionary masterpiece that makes it possible for us to, to determine our own fate, to go where we choose if we actually are willing to open that gate and it is the uniquely human avenue that we're trying to encourage in this um, in this uh, journaling to have you reflect really, really intensely on things that might have been very kind of unconscious or subconscious or even conscious. Now we're going to rise above it, and now you're going to vet it in a way you never have before. And you will get uncomfortable because it gets you to question things you've never questioned before and to look at things that might be very disturbing because of where it leads you. And now you realize you're not the moral person that you thought you were, and you can no longer get away with some of the things that uh, you have been getting away with, maybe since you were a young child. And then we have this rational brain, and then we have an emotional brain, both of which are masterpieces. But by themselves, they get it completely wrong. If you're just a logical, analytical person, and that's how you make decisions, it will be a catastrophe. And we know that from all the science. If you're an emotional person, and you make simply your uh, moral emotion. judgments based on emotion, that's going to be a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you just trust your gut, your gut often gets it wrong. There are sources of wisdom, all of which have to be uh, addressed and really, really called upon to make sure you get it right. And that is your rational brain, your emotional brain, and then this very kind of unusual place where it's kind of happening below the level of awareness, and it gives you a sense of, this is what my gut is telling me. And uh, all of those sources of wisdom need to be brought to the moral and ethical judgment table. It's interesting you were talking about the subconscious. So, so just for you, there's a author was on and he lives local and his name is Dr. Steve Berman. And uh, I won't tell the whole story, but he's been doing hypnosis on me to get the subconscious. And mm. actually I did a session on Monday before this Mohs surgery and it was a bloodless surgery as a result of bringing in the subconscious through the hypnosis. Mm. Um, so the, the point was there were certain things I was looking to have happen as a result. Um, and it just shows you the power of the subconscious. The power of the subconscious is incredibly powerful. It's 100% correct. And Karen, in the chapter on who are you becoming in the chase to the top, and I really think there's so many people trying to run to the top. You address something called self-determination theory. I mean, I've dealt with this, so I know there's been other authors writing about it. What is it and what role does it play in who we become uh, and the purpose that we'll pursue? Yeah, um, I think, I guess for people who aren't familiar, like you are, a simple explanation would be self-determination theory focuses on really the motivation behind the choices we make in life. 
and on our ability to shape who we are and what will happen to us. And so while some concepts, you know, previous concepts were focused on focused on discovering who you are, or finding yourself, it, it's not about that. It's it's the opposite of that. It's actually where we're intentionally creating who we are and creating our own destiny. So intrinsic motivation, which we talked about before, plays a key role here. And it's really fueled by three things as defined in self-determination theory. And one is competence, which is basically your ability to master tasks, right? The other is relatedness, which is definitely a universal need, but to connect with others, but also to experience that caring for others, that empathy. And then autonomy is our desire to be independent and control our own lives. So you really need those three factors to be successful. And when those needs are met, then we really are better able to uncover that purpose and answer those questions that we talked about in the chapter, which are, what are you chasing? Why are you chasing it? And who are you becoming as a result of that chase? Does that make sense? Very, definitely. And I'm sure for my listeners, they'll they'll get it. And to go into the book and learn more about self-determination theory, I think is a, an important thing if they've never heard of it before. Yeah. Now, Jim, in building both our personal and organizational credo, what advice would you give our listeners about the importance of this exercise and how this will guide their decision, really, you say, for the rest of your life? Um, you're on a 150-day journey, and you're on your yes. third one. I'm not certain how many of the listeners are going to take three 150-day journeys, <laughs> but but I will say uh, my hat's off to you. Uh, what if if they just took one 150-day journey? What's going to happen for them? Well, for, first of all, let's. Uh, it's not 150 days all day long it's 10 minutes a day right for 150 days so right. we, we we don't have a lot of time in our life but if you get up 10 minutes earlier and you feel this can make a difference and what you're doing is you're just answering questions that force you to kind of get more reflective to bring that special human capacity alive so that you are now in full um f- f- you know, full understanding of what it is that you are doing with your life and where your life is going and if it actually is in the direction you want, what your own true north is. So I think the most important thing in terms of developing a life is really saying um, and, and having a life where you are proud of who and how you are leading, who you are as a person, I think you have to constantly commit to strengthening the muscles of character that will um, enable you to hold the moral ground. When people fail, it's because they don't, their strength of their moral muscles, just like if I have you lift 150 pounds um, and you're only capable of lifting 100, that will fail. That happens all the time. Something comes up. And you know, in a sense, kind of what the right thing is to do, but you you find a way to kind of maneuver around it because you're incapable of holding that, you know, the burden of that particular decision is too much for you. So working on your muscles of character, maybe it's kindness, maybe it's humility, maybe it's um, your, um, your integrity, doing what you say you do and holding the moral ground maybe being courageous morally and doing it actually at great risk to yourself. Being able to understand what it means to be truthful and also to be uh, to, to pair that, balance it with compassion and kindness. Um, balancing your confidence with a, a sense of humility. Humility that I don't know it all, and maybe I need a little more humility. And that will draw me to an understanding of what other people believe is the right thing for them. And I listen and carefully um, engage with what it is that they're saying. So every day is an opportunity to build those bricks, which become the, the edifice that really uh, will determine how and where you're going to end up at the end of your life. And so I think strengthening those assets and, 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 and really increasing those assets so that they become available to you. For me, um, 
really represent um, the most important aspect of being human because getting home ethically and morally at the end of your life will be the only thing that truly matters. Mm -hmm. And we leave that to chance and we leave it to a very, very um, imperfect system. It's a system that is really not, um, we really can't, it's like if you get in your car and you have a navigational system and it's really funky, you don't really trust it to get you home. It's really a problematic issue. But getting home morally and ethically is truly getting home in life. And if we don't have a navigational system that we can trust will take us there, we are in serious trouble. And that's what this is all about. It's building a system that really you can rely on and you will feel great as you move forward because this is exactly what you have decided is the most important imperative for you leaving, uh, living a successful life. And a legacy. And um, a legacy. And I will tell my listeners they, that there will be uh, links to these books as well. Uh, on Amazon. And as you said, they come together. Okay. So uh, here's the credo book and here's uh, leading with character. Now in wrapping up the interview, Karen, you said I should give this question to Jim, but I'm going to give it to both of you. Once the personal and organizational credos are built, um, they need to be supported with new habits. Um, you have a formula in the book, H equals PTR. Um, what is the formula and how does it work? And Jim, I guess we'll start off with you. Okay, so I've had every everybody from BJ Fogg <laughs> on here to you name so it BJ, talking BJ about. BJ would understand. <laughs> BJ understands this. The small habits. He's got it wired up perfectly. So uh, you know, we are creatures of habit, and the more we can bring a lot of this machinery into alignment with what we want and automate it, the more confidence, we, the more we can get done because this is, takes a lot of careful study and work. But the more we do it, we can create habits around this. We're going to be much better off, good habits. And so the formula that we have used is H, and that stands for habit, and P is purpose, we, when we're developing a new habit, we need to have a strong purpose. That's what's going to release the energy and the effort that's necessary to build that. And then we need to have a trigger word. So PT, T stands for trigger. So if you want to get up and write in your journal every morning, you want to get up 10 minutes earlier, uh, you set your alarm for 10 minutes earlier, and it goes off, and that is a trigger that takes you back to your purpose and you have your book ready to go and you sit down and write. And why? Because you want to have an extraordinary um, commitment to being a, the best person you can be morally and ethically. You go right back to that. And you have to have something that actually uh, links you to that purpose uh, that's going to become a habit, getting up 10 minutes early and doing some writing. And then we have we need some kind of reward. We, we're going to respond by writing, which is R, and then we're going to, in a sense, get a reward for that. You actually feel good after having spent that three minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes, preferably. You actually feel like you've done something that's important because it's aligned with your purpose. You actually get a little endorphin release. You get a little oxytocin. You actually, your serotonin level rises a little bit because you've actually done something that you've committed to and it makes you feel good. And then the last R, it's R3, R, uh, you know, um, it's the R to the third power, is actually repeating it again. And the more you repeat it, the more it becomes ingrained. And it takes about 30 to 60 days of repetition. And then you don't have to set your alarm anymore. Now you're drawn to it. It actually pulls you to do the writing. And that's why I am pulled to do the writing every day. If I don't do the writing, I feel I've missed something. So it's like, it's magical how we're designed. It's a marvelous system. The more we understand how it's engineered, the more we can use it to our advantage. But the system is flawed 
We need to understand it, and we're going to have to fix it. And we fix it by getting new habits to replace the faulty coding. And some of that coding that I've learned over the years from doing these interviews is that many, many people, and you both, I would think, would agree that the wiring says we're not enough. So what's happening is we're always trying to overcompensate for not being enough. And so we don't give ourselves those pleasures because there's something in there that's saying you got to be more. And the reality is, I would say for everybody out there listening, you are enough just the way you are. And if you were to take the time that Karen and Jim are talking about here to do your personal credo and to read the book and understand what's going on, you'll get a better uh, not only uh, understanding what it's like to be a moral leader, an ethical leader, to have character, but more importantly, what is your legacy? What is your what is your contribution here to the world? What are you going to do that's positive for the world? And I want to thank both of you for being on the show, spending time with me. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed this interview, and I know that my listeners are going to love it. I'm going to tell them to go out. We're going to put um, like I said, links to Amazon for these two books. Uh, maybe I can cover up my thing here like this. <laughs> and, uh, and Karen, do you have any parting words here? What would you want people to take away? I think the key thing is just the recognition that with character being the most important part of who you are, uh, it, recognizing that it can be trained, recognizing that it should be an integral part of any leadership development program, uh, we're seeing CEO dismissals at uh, unprecedented rate and for ethical decisions and behavior exceeding for performance for the first time in history. So that's it's concerning, but I think we can shift that trajectory by helping leaders get a stronger connection to their purpose, strengthen that character muscle, and so that they can consistently make the right decisions, not just for themselves, but for others and create that extraordinary legacy. So I think it's it's very doable, right? And small steps, but um, huge return on it. Well, your book does a good job of giving people the opportunity to uh, take inventory. And I think the key is sometimes we need to take inventory of really what we have accomplished yeah. and how much we have contributed already and how much more we can actually contribute uh, as a moral ethical leader. Um, to you, Jim, to you, Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. Both of you hang in there for the special guest um, that's going to come on here in a second. And I appreciate both of your times. And for all of my listeners, thank you for hanging in there with us. Uh, please go out and get a copy of Leading with Character. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you, Greg. You. It was a joy to be with you. Thank you. Blessings Great. to you both.